Sometimes how we connect with our team has more to do with how we're doing physically than even who we are as a person. Today, my guest is Bob Pazzini. Bob brings us a unique perspective from his 26 years in Navy Special Operations, as well as the owner of a multi-million dollar business himself. He's experienced firsthand insights on how changing your diet, your nutrition, and your health affect your brain and affect your leadership. Hey, welcome to Communication On Point. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. This program is dedicated to bringing you insights to help you grow your leadership and increase your influence. And today is no exception. Let's get started. Well, I have a special guest today, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Uh, Bob Pizzini, welcome to Communication on Point. Hey, thank you very much. It's awesome to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. Your background is really so much steeped in leadership at so many levels, whether it's the military or as an entrepreneur and a CEO. You know, when we think about communication, you know, the, our listeners are leaders at some level in their organization, and communication is that lifeblood of really getting your ideas out there. But in your experience, how does communication even become secondary? How do, how do we make sure that we take care of ourselves so that we can be our best communicators and best leaders? Yeah, so two a couple things there. First, you know, you you as a leader, as an individual, you have to have a communication strategy. What are, what are my listening techniques? What are my speaking techniques? There's so many complexities to communication, internal communication, external communication, vertical communication, horizontal communication. So and if these are new terms to leaders, I would say that you're behind. Uh, not that you have to be the master teacher of all things communication, but you need to be aware of all the tools at your disposal. So, uh, so, and the and the significance is in the moment in this situation, what's going to be the most effective method for me to communicate? So, somebody could come in and and say something very alarming, uh, or somebody could bring me information that's that's surprisingly negative and they they would say bob you're you're not going to believe about this terrible thing that just happened my communication needs to be measured it needs to be controlled and these methods need to be in my conscious so i don't overreact and i don't underreact uh that's one aspect uh so and so you know know the tools of communication and put them to use as appropriate is kind of the summary there the second thing, and the thing that I think is even more important and even more overlooked, is that as a leader, you can communicate in the best manner possible if you are well-rested and well-hydrated and well-nourished, and you exercise on a regular basis, and you pay attention to your brain and heart health, and you're a lifelong learner. If you tie all of those things together as a daily practice, to generally become a better leader, then your focus on those communication skills will be dialed in. Well, that's a really interesting take because maybe it's less so now, but I think there's still this element of it. And that is this heroic leader where they have to talk about how I, you know, I'm working 90 hours and I don't have time to work out and this heroism that comes from it. How do you see that playing out? Have you seen that in your career and how does that fit into this coaching that you've just given, like, hey, you got to rest, you got to drink water, you got to eat right. Yeah. So, um, so 
the, the summary is those types of leaders uh, are short-lived. Their life expectancy is much less than the, and, and I was that leader, by the way, I was that heroic. I'm going to save the world. I can get by on two hours of sleep. And boy, uh, was I ineffective in that capacity as I look back over my career. So the, the heroic, uh, stoic type of leader, again, their life expectancy is generally going to be shorter. That's been my experience throughout my career. Paying attention to those six things I mentioned, rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, and lifelong learning, that will optimize your ability to lead. In other words, you're a better leader immediately, but it will also give you longevity. You will be a better leader over a much longer period of time. Again, something I call optimization. I'm curious, Bob, what was, um, what was the transformation for you? When did that shift uh, occur from that heroic, you know, I can do anything Superman leader to looking at how you had to be differently? So for me, the shift was gradual and it was over time. And the aha moment came for me recently, probably three years or so ago. Uh, but when you try to save the world, you know, in, in military and military special operations, we all, it's all type A personalities. We all want to be very good at what we do, but we also want to be good teammates. And we will sacrifice rest, hydration, nutrition, et cetera. We will sacrifice that uh, to be that heroic uh, teammate, you know, at, at this point, not so much a leader, but a teammate. Um, and, and actually good leaders won't let teammates do that. They will, they will emphasize the importance. But again, for me, after I retired uh, from the military, and this was now 10 years ago, I launched into my private sector career uh, very energetically and very aggressively. And shortly thereafter, uh, the mental fog started to set in and the fatigue and the lack of energy started to overtake me. And I still work out every day. And I, I just, I, I, I didn't understand what was going on. And I thought I was fine. Uh, you know, I had, I had operated in this capacity uh, in a very complex and austere environment for 26 years, shake it off and get going. And I, I finally found uh, through a veterans program, uh, a program that was available for me called, it was called the Boot Campaign, but they funded a trip for me to go to the Marcus Institute of Brain Health in Aurora, Colorado. And it was a three-week outpatient program where I learned more about the functioning of my brain and my heart and, you know, other aspects of, of brain and heart health. It's stuff I wish I would have learned 30 years ago, but actually this science didn't exist 30 years ago. Some of the things I learned were, were scientifically proven as recently as 2010 or 2012 when we talk about the way the brain functions and, and the way the brain reacts and the body reacts to different stressors. So uh, that's a long way of, of saying I've learned this really over the course of my career, but it took mental fog and f physical fatigue for me to do something about it. Well, it's been said that we can only learn something once we're ready. And it sounded like you were, you were ready. And uh, then the, uh, the instructor emerges once we're ready. And so tell us about, you know, when we think about the leader who has to be uh, such a clear communicator to the organization and they, you know, their communication can't be more clear than their ability to process the world. And that requires very high levels of, of 
mental processing. And, you know, our brain burns a lot of calories. It's our most important organ. So what are some of the big insights that you've applied in your leadership and taking care of yourself that came out of that uh, experience with the Institute of Brain Health? Sure. So uh, there's three things really when we talk about brain and heart health, and that is your sympathetic nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system, and, and something called neuroplasticity. Actually, there's I'm going to add a fourth. The fourth would be heart rate variability. And, and let me just go through those real quick. Uh, fight, flight, or freeze is another way to describe what happens when your sympathetic nervous system takes over. And so typically we associate that with the tiger is chasing me. I've got to run as fast as I can. Your sympathetic nervous system takes over. Your heart rate accelerates. Your blood pressure goes up. Your blink rate goes up. Your vision literally narrows. And your ability to mentally process things is reduced. It's reduced significantly, not only when the tiger is chasing you, but when somebody brings you very good news or very bad news or when, when stressors happen to leaders in the workplace, your sympathetic nervous system uh, takes over or it, it can take over if you're not aware of it. The counter to your sympathetic nervous system is your parasympathetic nervous system, often called rest and digest. You can activate your parasympathetic nervous system simply by using breathing techniques. And, and there are four or five very well-known breathing techniques, but I'll just summarize by saying, stop and breathe. We've all heard that before. But generally speaking, if you take one minute, only one minute, and have inhalations that are four to five seconds in duration and exhalations that are six to seven seconds in duration, you are activating your parasympathetic nervous system in that one minute. What happens in that one minute? That narrowed vision widens. Pulse rate goes down. Blink rate goes down. Blood pressure goes down. Mental acuity increases. Your ability to see and have this more comprehensive situational awareness is increased. So you can control that yourself or you can let it get out of control. Again, not only when the tiger's chasing you, it can happen in the boardroom. It can happen with clients that are difficult to work with. It can happen in many, many different situations. You got to be in the driver's seat the whole time. And, and, you, and, and if you understand what I'm talking about uh, and practice these things and rehearse these things, you will keep yourself in the driver's seat. I'm going to talk about two other things real quick. One is heart rate variability. So as we transition between sympathetic and parasympathetic, increased heart rate, de decreased heart rate, et cetera, the, as your heart rate goes up, it can go up in this linear, smooth fashion, or it can go up in this jagged, rigid, uneven fashion. Same thing as it comes down. If it's jagged and rigid and nonlinear, that's very exhausting mentally and physically. So you could literally have dealt with a couple of difficult situations on a particular day and you go home at the end of the day and you go, why am I so exhausted? Um, all I did was this or that. Well, these things are physically exhausting depending on the health of your heart rate variability. Heart rate variability health is increased through exercise. And this, this leads to my last, my last point, uh, which is neuroplasticity. When you accelerate your heart rate, 
to 60 to 85% of your age recommended maximum, uh, neuroplasticity, it kicks in in your brain. Neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to grow, change, adapt, and heal. Some of my greatest moments of clarity have come either during exercise or immediately after when my heart rate was still elevated and that neuroplasticity was on fire. So those four things, physiological and function, if leaders pay attention to that, they can be in the driver's seat all the time. Not only can they be in the driver's seat, but they'll be a much better leader all the time. Well, certainly we're learning more about our brain and body connection. And I think this is really interesting to think about how the pieces fit together. Because, you know, a lot of times when we talk about improving our ability to communicate, it's a really cognitive exercise. We're talking about these different skills and tricks and tips. But uh, if we step back from that, what you're suggesting is simply exercising on a regular basis may be one of the biggest contributors to our ability to think and to speak more effectively as a leader. Is that a good way to understand this? Absolutely, uh, yes, and scientifically proven, and has and it has been my personal experience. Uh, you know, my body and my brain have been talking to me my entire adult life. Sometimes I understood the signals, oftentimes I did not. I understand the signals a lot better now, and it has made me a much more, I would say, competent, comfortable leader. And, and that's not just the way I feel. That's the feedback that I get from those around me and their, their, their comfort level around me and their willingness to come and give me information that's really bad or really good because I'm not going to overreact either way. I'm going to have a, a level measured reaction. Well, and that brings us back to a comment that you made earlier. When you were talking about the tools that we need to be aware of and be able to use as leaders, you mentioned this ability to know in this moment what's sure. best. You know, that's a real kind yeah. of a self-discipline thing to be mindful because we might just assume that I always need to be calm, but that that isn't really what you're saying, is it? Tell us more about this in the moment, what's best. Sure. So um, Chris Voss wrote a book. He's, he was a former FBI uh, hostage negotiator. He talks about something. So this is a tool. Tool number one, it's called tactical empathy. Tactical empathy. I'm going to come back to tactical empathy in just a minute, but that's a tool. There are three levels of listening. You can listen only long enough for that person to stop talking so you can then say whatever it is you want to say. That's called level one listening, and that's really not listening at all. Level two listening is empathetic listening. It's, it's being in the moment. It is putting yourself in that person's shoes. It's understanding where that person is coming from. So if you're an empathetic listener, a level two listener, you're going to let that person talk as long as they want to talk. And then level three listening is level two with the addition of reading body language. Does their body language agree with what it is they're saying? So those are simple to that. Just knowing that level one through level three listening you can apply that to various situations to, to give that person the appropriate level of attention. Um, oftentimes, when you get to level three listening and this tactical empathy that I'll, I'll discuss in greater detail here in a second, uh, the person that you're talking to or talking with will often resolve the issue themselves. The, you know, the answer is within them. And if you listen appropriately, and ask a question, the right question here or there, they will often 
resolve the issue themselves. And that's what a good leader seeks. Even if I know the answer immediately, I would rather take that person through that listening and that communication drill and allow them to arrive at the right answer themselves. And, and that's, 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 that's developing your subordinates. That's key to leadership. Okay, so we had level one, level two, level three. Let me talk about tactical empathy. Um, so empathetic listening, once again, um, empathy, pathy to be with. So I understand, I'm with you, I hear what you're saying. Tactical empathy uh, is a tool that Chris Voss applied as an FBI hostage negotiator. And it, it means that he would let that person talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. He would ask an occasional question to get them just to keep on talking, even when they thought they were done. And he's doing it, he's doing two things with that. One, he's, he's kind of exhausting the, um, in this case, we'll call it the hostage, hostage taker. But again, this hostage taker is also, uh, in, in tactical empathy, you get somebody to reason with themselves. Ultimately, you get them to be reasonable with themselves in their discussion. I get it. And I love the breakdown, you know, the listening. We've all had those experiences where we know the person we're talking with is just waiting to talk. That's their version of listening. That's that level one. So just because our lips aren't moving doesn't mean that we're really truly listening. But then being able to move that up to that empathetic listening, being really tuned in to what's going on and then adding in that body language. And certainly, I'm sure in your position as a leader, you have many situations where people are saying things, you know, in your whole career, you hear them saying the right words to you. But by dialing into that body language, you're seeing there's just something that's not quite fitting here. There's more to the story that I need to find out about. Yeah, that's right. And that that's that feeling, so to speak. And what that feeling is, is disagreement between your brain, what you're hearing, and what you're seeing, you know, and, and you literally in your body, you have a conflict, you have a disagreement, you know, I, something doesn't feel right about this. That's, that's a signal you should pay attention to. Yeah. And that could be uh, with a customer telling you a story that could be with a big uh, business deal that you're trying to work out. All of those things come out and being able to listen to ourselves, that part of us that maybe we can't explain, or if somebody asks us, well, why is it you don't trust them? Well, being able to have the confidence to say, I, I can't tell you, but there's just something that isn't right and being able to trust that feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to explore those types of, of feelings. Bob, you've uh, led a couple of lives that I would say, you know, many people have a lot of admiration for. So when we think about veterans and entrepreneurs, those are people that people um, look to for lessons, look to for the experiences that they've had. And I'm curious, what were some of the big changes uh, in your leadership and in your communication that you had to experience, if any, as you moved from the world of leading in the military and the Navy? Uh, into, you know, an entrepreneur in the civilian world. Yeah. Oh, significant changes for sure. I, I'll, I'll give you the first one and, and I take full responsibility. I should have been fully aware of this, but in the military, by the time somebody's 25 years old, assuming they, you know, join service right out of high school or college, by the time they're 25 years old, they're probably on their second or third leadership assignment. They've been to leadership training They've experienced uh, some degree of failure, which is, which is a great learning tool, but they're on their second or third leadership assignment. This is, this is a 25-year-old, you know, maybe a little younger, maybe a little bit older. In the private sector, 
most 25-year-olds have little to no leadership training. They might have an MBA. They might be a subject matter expert at you know a particular task, but they really haven't been exposed to deliberate leadership training. So the mistake I made in my first round of hiring managers a while back was I took these highly educated people and I, mix, I mistake that for leadership experience. And it didn't take long for that to expose itself. And again, my fault. I take full responsibility. I should have known better. But I, then I had, I had to do something about it. You know, I created a problem by putting ro- the wrong people in key positions. And I just had to face up to that, own up to that, and do something about it. And, and doing something, that's for the greater good. That's not just for my, my good. That's for the good of everybody else on the team. You know, that is a, a great point because somebody several years ago was telling me about their experience coming out of the military, um, you know, and whether it's somebody that's 24 years old or somebody that's 28 years old, they said one of the challenges they have coming out is they have had three or six or seven significant leadership positions. Maybe they've been in charge of a, of a bomber or something at extremely high levels of responsibility. They come out and find themselves in a fairly mundane position, perhaps, because of their quote-unquote experience or age. Um, and I guess I hadn't thought of the reverse of that, of you in your uh, experience as a leader, um, not then having 25-year-olds or 28-year-olds that had that kind of experience. So I think that's a, that's a great point. And it's almost like it's identifying what somebody's leader age, and that's completely separate. <laughs> yeah, it, It's separate from their actual age, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. With lifelong learning, you should just continually hone that leadership skill and get better and better and better as you go along. What have you found, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, starting a business, uh, a successful business, what have you found as some of the things that you're looking for that when a candidate interviews with your organization, maybe they are 24 years old or 32 years old, that give you that insight where they are communicating to you there's leadership here. Even if they don't have it on the resume, there's something there. What are you looking for as you build your team? There's a variety of things there, but I think the one thing is how well does that person know themselves? You know, uh, how candid are they being? If they, have sh- if, if they have shortcomings, you know, sometimes interview questions say, tell us the one thing about you that really needs to improve. And, you know, it, it, through discussion, through dialogue, if people have shortcomings, um, I would say the, the, the better candidates, the better interviews, they'll point those out. You know, they'll say that, um, these are my strong points and these are the things that, that I'm not so good at, or these are the things I need to get better at, uh, that kind of candor and that kind of honesty, I think is what you're looking for. My interview style is discussion more than anything else. Uh, I encourage, uh, people that I interview to ask me questions and get more of a dialogue. Now, having said all that, I will say uh, I have an awesome management team and I haven't personally participated in an interview in, in, in a few years now, but, um, but that's where we got to with the management team. You know, we, we still discuss how we're going to conduct our interviews, but I think we've evolved it to a pretty good place. I love highlighting having the candidate asking questions. I've been in, you know, hundreds of interviews myself and I'm always <laughs> startled when, you know, you, you get to that, it's like, hey, you know, what are some of the questions you have about the organization or for me? 
And they look at you and say, no, I don't think I have any. <laughs> and I'm thinking, really? Yeah. How, how is that even possible? Um, That's right. As you've grown the organization, as your team has built, you know, um, the organization, tell us a little bit about iFly and what you guys have gone through. And what I'd like to understand is how do you communicate as the organization grows and how has that had to change? And what are some key lessons that we want to keep in mind as organizations get beyond our ability to, you know, just send a text to the people that we need to talk to? Sure. So, so I fly Virginia Beach indoor skydiving. Um, I, I am a privately owned franchise. And uh, again, it's a multi-million dollar uh, operation. The, tech, the, the technology that we use to fly people in a flight chamber inside a building was designed by a NASA engineer around 1998. And the technology has evolved ever since then. So it's a very technical operation. It's a technical building, but then we have customer service and flight instructors within that. After I I got the project funded and I found the investor and I found the bank and I got everything put together, now it was time to focus on the team while we're building the building and establishing you know uh, operating procedures, so to speak. So I had three things on a document and those three things were core values. And those three core values were loyalty, integrity, and professionalism. And I used those words in front of the entire team every day all the time, walk past them in the hallway, uh, team gatherings, team training sessions, et cetera. I focused on loyalty, integrity, and professionalism. And if people pay attention to that, if they hold themselves accountable and if they hold others accountable, it really gives you a foundation like no other. It, it's incredible to see how this worked. That was year one. Year one, all we had was those three words on a piece of paper. Year two, uh, as the business stabilized, or at least we got open and we figured out what we were doing, I was able to put on a piece of paper, what I call the strategic vision or the strategic plan. And, you know, this is not rocket science on my part and everybody's heard of mission, vision, values. So I have mission, vision, values. I have strategic areas. I have focus areas and I have goals for the year. And I actually added a section called culture. Culture used to be a bullet under strategic goals, I believe it was, but culture became an entity unto itself. So culture gets its own seven or eight bullets on the plan. But in answering your question, this strategy document gives everybody a very clear vision of my vision. It gives them a very clear understanding of my vision and it gives them the guidance, not the step-by-step, but it gives them the general guidance on how we're gonna move this thing forward. And it gives everybody something to rally around. So to answer your question, giving clear guidance, written, verbal, uh, reinforced through various programs, giving that very clear guidance and then repeating it often is critical. So our strategic plan, which I update every year, um, has those areas that I mentioned. We have mission, we have vision, we have values, we have our motto, which is excellence in all we do. Uh, and then I have focus areas, I have growth areas, I have culture, and then we have the specific goals and every goal has a programmatic behind it. it just gives everybody a clear understanding of who we are and what we're trying to do. Well, it sounds like a, a very powerful tool in getting out kind of the essence of what's in your heart because in any business, I mean, the 
the fingerprints of the leader are all over it. And this is a way for you to get that out and probably allow people to make the decisions that need to be made in real time because they're clear about who are we, where are we headed, how can I go about doing this so that I can be uh, more confident to make those decisions on the front line. Yeah, absolutely. One of the um, one of the traits of highly effective CEOs, as identified by Harvard Business Review, is decisiveness. And if you're indecisive, that kind of that can infect others on your team. If you're indecisive, others will be indecisive. And so, decisive leaders don't get it right every single time, but that indecision could be more costly than a wrong decision. And to your point, you just filter that down to the lowest level possible. Hey, you are empowered to make decisions um, as long as you have the best interests of the company in mind and you feel you're well-informed on making this decision. And they will make mistakes from time to time. But again, if their intent is well-placed, if they're bought into the mission of the organization, um, those mistakes are hopefully just going to be, it's going to be a learning process um, and not, uh, not a big financial loss. That's right. Tuition, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. You know, we've talked about the uh, kind of the physiology of the of the leader and, and how taking care of ourselves and being tuned into ourselves affects how we communicate. Uh, we've also talked about the ability to be very in the moment. You know, what's the most important thing for me to do right now in how I'm being as a leader? Um, the things that you're looking for in your team, you know, finding people who have self-awareness. Do they know who they are, their strengths and their weaknesses? And I'm curious for the listeners, you know, what's one thing or one concept that if you really, maybe we've, maybe we have talked about it, maybe we haven't talked about it. What do you really want to highlight when it comes to growing leadership and improving our ability to communicate as leaders? Sure. So I, I would, I'll highlight two things. One is you have to have a foundation in leadership. You have to build a foundation. Um, ask any leader, hey, what's the foundation of your leadership? And the majority of them are not going to have an answer. Now, some will have a very good answer or a very, I shouldn't say good, some will have a, a very uh, well thought out or well-defined answer. But having a foundation in leadership is critical. And I'll give you a quick example. For me, my foundation rests in leadership styles and power types. There are, you can Google the, the six leadership styles, the 12 leadership styles, the 15 critical leadership styles, you know, pick three, pick six, pick nine. The point is that you pick them. You pick leadership styles that feel good to you, that match your brand, that match your personality, a visionary, a pace setter, a participative democratic, which I don't really recommend. Um, you know, there's a variety affiliative, there's a variety of leadership styles coach. I coach youth hockey. So I use coaching as a leadership style. I look for opportunities um, to, to use some coaching techniques in my leadership style. But, but that's, that's the, let's just say you have six leadership styles that, that you keep in the conscious and you, you put them into play when, the, uh, when it's appropriate. That's part of your foundation. The other part is power types. What, what type of power do I need to exert right now? Do I need to be you know, a dictator? Hopefully never. Do I have informational power? Do I have positional power? Do I have referent power? Do I have charismatic power? You know, again, you can pick your three, your six, your 12, but pick the ones 
that feel good to you. So build a foundation, leadership styles and power types. And like an artist with a palette of colors, you have the, this palette um, of leadership styles and power types in your foundation. And you can mix and match those things to get the appropriate response for the moment. You know, an artist, if he, if he or she is painting a blue sky on the canvas, but the blue on the palette is too dark, they'll mix a little white with it, lighten it up, get just the right touch. And a foundation in leadership is the exact same thing, in my opinion. So I think leaders should have a foundation. The second thing I will tell you is that uh, something General Mattis says in his book, Call Sign Chaos, be brilliant at the basics. We, we have to revisit the basics often and be very good at them. You know, some of these leadership seminars and these leadership institutes, they have very complex matrices and these other ways that, that they apply leadership. And, and that has just never worked for me. What works for me is going back to the basics, being brilliant at the basics or trying to be brilliant at the basics anyway, and you know, going back to being in control of myself. So build a foundation and keep those basics in the conscious. Last thing I'll say about General Madison communication, uh, and, and I, tr- I, I have a sign on my door to remind me, but at the end of the day, I ask myself, what have I learned? Who needs to know it? And have I told them? Now, again, you can Google that. It's all over the internet. It's a fairly new concept for me. You know, I, I, I discovered it when I was reading Mattis's book a couple of years ago when it came out. But that's a, a very basic, very basic tool of communication. And it's one that uh, should be on the leader's mind every day. Well, it's certainly a, a self-awareness tool, an opportunity for us to reflect on how we're growing and the things that we're leading. And I very much appreciate your insights. I agree. You know, it's mastering the basics that get us uh, where we want to get to. And it's easy to forget about those things and get drawn into the, the uh, novel and the clever uh, concepts, but it's really about the basics. And while it's simple, that doesn't mean it's easy. And uh, exactly. focusing on, on what really our building blocks are. Bob, if people want to learn more about what uh, you guys have going on, some of the work that you're doing in leadership, um, where would you direct them? Yeah. So robertpizzini.com. That's Robert P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com. So robertpizzini.com is my website. They say if you say things three times, it'll resonate. So I just said robertpizzini.com three times. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, and that explains my leadership offerings. And, and what we haven't talked about is how I believe in leadership so much. I developed a leadership seminar, a leadership workshop, a leadership offsite. Um, I coach, I do executive speaking, uh, public speaking, Um, I do team settings and I do group settings and I believe in leadership so much that I developed a way to, to deliver leadership instruction and leadership development to individuals, to companies, et cetera, robertpizzini.com. Well, and and if they didn't get robertpizzini.com written down, I will put it in the show notes as well to make sure they get it. How's that? That's great. That's great. Bob, I have so much enjoyed our conversation, the experiences that you've shared with us to help us grow our ability to communicate as leaders. And I want to thank you so much for coming on to Communication on Point with me. Hey, thank you so much. It was great to be here. Uh, It was a wonderful discussion and I enjoyed it. Hey, have a great one. You too. Thanks. 